tuned. Up next is Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Yes, the saints be marching, saints be marching. 9 February, 9th February, 2010. Oh, saints won the ball game. Ah, that means Mardi Gras will be ecstatic this year. I kind of wish I could go to New Orleans. I'm not sure it's still there, I think. We know the human stuff is still there. <laughs> anyway, the Superdome is still there. That's the same Superdome where thousands suffered after Katrina. Maybe, maybe this game, this ball game, this win will help cleanse the Super Bowl of history, you know, wash away the memory of all that pain and humiliation. All that uh, suffering in those shameful, shameful days when uh, Americans watched, you know, while our citizens were devastated, trapped in hell and high water. I think the TV pundits are saying that the body count in Haiti is much higher, they're saying, worse than Katrina, less than the tsunami. Ah, can you imagine measuring misery in that way. It's so futile. I'm one of those people who needs to narrow it down till it means something. Uh, I found a piece, what, what they call human interest story, yes, put an individual face on collective suffering. I found a, uh, uh, article about a saint, if there ever was one, it's in the 8th February, New Yorker, 2010. It's called Letter from Haiti. John Lee Anderson wrote it. Now, I have had one or two questions in my mind about John Lee Anderson, but that's okay. He's a good reporter. Uh, once in a while. Once in a while, I question his... Well, let's see. I guess what I question here... Oh, yes. He's talking about Haiti, and he says that they have suffered riots and hideous violence and depressingly regular political upheavals led by a succession of despots and cheats. Papa Doc, Baby Talk, the priest Aristide. Now, he puts Aristide on that list. That would be the one thing in this article that I would fault him for. Anyway, John Lee Anderson went down there uh, 
Let's see. He set out Monday, January 18th, and he wrote this article called Neighbor's Keeper, A Woman Feeds Her Community in Port-au-Prince. He found a painter, a Haitian-born painter, who drove him around, and it's the sort of thing you would expect. It's a kind of blow-by-blow account of everything that's going on. We've heard so much about it. Uh, (laughs) The vast collection of Rescue teams from Spain, France, Russia, Israel, Venezuela, Cuba, and the United States. He says that there was a team of yellow-shirted Scientologists and uh, also a team from the Order of the Knights of Malta. (laughs) Anyway. Tons of supplies had been flown in and were on their way, but the distribution was scattershot. Every outlet swamped with desperate crowds. We know all that. Okay. Anyway, um, what he did was he ran into a woman named of Nadia Francois. N-A-D-I-A. Nadia Francois. F-R-A-N-C-O-I-S. And the uh, article features a picture of... Nadia, she's a beautiful woman of, she says, 36 going on 37. She's in a little summer, summer sundress and a red turban. (laughs) Anyway, she's charging down the street with uh, nine companions. uh, And he keeps running into her. He says that they fall, their, her companions trailed behind her as if she were some kind of Pied Piper. Anyway, eventually she gets aboard his truck and they drive around and finally, uh, she manages to fill, uh, their pickup with 70 or 80 bags and off they go. She lives in a, uh, community called Fidel, named for Fidel Castro. She lived in Cuba for a little while, uh, and then in Florida. Now, Nadia is basically an American, as far as I can tell. Uh, she said she grew up in Miami with her family. Uh, she is not, uh, what you call that? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I can't tell from this article whether she is a citizen of the United States. Apparently not, because she'd been deported. She said she grew up in Miami And uh, when she was asked why she returned to Haiti, she gave a rueful smile. She said she had, quote, been bad and had had immigration difficulties. (laughs) Turns out that uh, she'd been incarcerated quite a bit and uh, wrote a few bad checks. That kind of thing looks like she had a bad boyfriend at one point. Anyway, this incredibly... uh, what you call that uh, warrior-like woman, just the sort of person we kick out of the country, right? Uh, (laughs) She's a can-do kind of person. Uh, Now, my favorite group that she runs into here, let's see. She's doing all this, uh, what is that? She's in the midst of a tumultuous scene, trucks coming and going, Civilians trying to slip through. Uh, uh, John Anderson says that the cordon is a mingling of Haitian police, Dominican soldiers, and then this is my favorite. 
dozens of yellow t-shirted volunteers for Haiti's Ministry of the Feminine Condition. I'm going to repeat that. Haiti has a Ministry of the Feminine Condition, a legacy of the populist presidency of uh, Juan Bertrand Aristide. Now, I think... Uh, I think what I think what it is it it was probably in French that's why it sounds so funny to us yes <laughs> ministry of the feminine condition would sound much different in French anyway uh this is the crowd that finally helps Nadia uh what do they have they have uh aid Let's see, they got 70 or 80 bags, plastic bags with the essentials to sustain a single family for a day. Rice, cornmeal, beans, sardines, and Vienna sausages. The official, that is the hmm, t-shirted volunteer from Haiti's Ministry of the Feminine Condition. Uh, yes, um, she removed her cell phone from her ear long enough to listen as we pled Nadia's case. She looked sternly at us, at Nadia, finally nodded in assent, <laughs> went back to her phone anyway. That's how they got the the first load of stuff. Uh, this is fascinating. Uh, it looks like the everybody is trying to figure out who they should ask permission from. It's this business of, you know, the hierarchy of authority. Uh they told us that the people would overwhelm our vehicle in order to get at the food. So the Dominican soldiers yell at us to go fast. Don't stop for anything, he says. Okay. So we gunned the pickup and made it through the crowd, and they went back into the hills. Now, Nadia lives in a, let's call it a community, uh, in a ravine about five miles outside of Port-au-Prince. And uh, it's basically, uh, well... Uh, let's just say it's, um, <laughs> let's just say it's her home. He says it's in a ravine 20 or 30 feet deep and about 100 feet across the community of Fidel. She and 300 other people normally live there. Uh, now because of the earthquake, there's more than that. Yes, it's filling up. Uh, most of the residents were up on the street sleeping under the under an awning. They were frightened by the continuing aftershocks. They didn't want to be caught in the ravine if there's another earthquake. Uh, oh, Nadia pointed to a broken section of rock and block wall on the far cliff edge. I could see there the outlines of an unfinished residential development. Nadia said that the residents of Fidel had asked the developer not to put the wall so close to the edge of the cliff. He ignored them. During the quake, a section of the wall collapsed on top of Nadia's neighbor, hitting her on the head and killing her. There's a heartbreaking description of Nadia saving the seven-month-old baby of her neighbor. Anyway, beside the truck... Nadia got out, called for help, and a group of young men and boys began to carry the bags of food into a small, rudimentary Protestant church. The church was built into the side of a cliff and made of sheets of salvaged corrugated tin painted blue and pink. The altar and the benches were down a steep concrete staircase at the bottom of what seemed almost like a well 
As Nadia called out orders to the youths, the pastor vowed that he would see that the food was fairly distributed. Everyone seemed happy with the arrangement. Now this, this little community was settled, oh, it says here, 32 years ago, according to a neighbor of Nadia's. Uh, he seems to be the leader in Fidel, but he's the, uh, well, he's the oldest, the oldest person there at 52. Uh, he is a itinerant construction worker, jack of all trades. He says that he came there in the 1970s working for the developer. The developer, he said, was a woman called Prosper, who allowed him to build a shack for himself in the ravine. Mine was the first house, he said. Okay, so his friends and relatives followed, and the place grew, and it says today there are some 860 people living there, according to Nadia's calculations. And John Anderson goes on about the large size of the families. Uh, Nadia waved to the mothers and babies and children on the tarp, and she said something had to be done for them. The thing is, she said, with a tone of fond disparagement, these Haitians don't know what to do. <laughs> anyway, she goes on to explain that the truck that they bought the water from, the cistern truck, hadn't appeared and so on. Anyway, uh, the article goes on to tell us all the things that we know that we've been seeing on the uh, news for the past weeks. Let's see. What has it been? Anyway, um John Anderson goes on to say that Haiti has been in a state of persistent struggle since it won its independence from France in 1804. My footnote here says, yes, the first, the first uh, nation to win its independence in this uh, hemisphere. They drove out the French <laughs> and then they had to pay reparations, I think, until after World War Two. The date I was given is 1947. They were still paying the French, paying them back because, of course, they took they took the property of the French when they took their own land and when they took their lives back and said they were no longer slaves. We all have heard over and over again that Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Seventy-eight percent of the people living on less than two U.S. dollars a day and 54 percent on half that. The traditional exports, um, coffee, sugar, all that has collapsed. Manufacturing has been in decline for decades. It has suffered riots and hideous violence. All of this we know, um, it would seem, for those who are, well, for those who look on the darkest side that um, Haiti is to be used for, what would you call it, not just the maquiladors, kind of a, a sweatshop, a permanent sweatshop. There's nothing left there. Uh, we've stripped it of everything. There's hardly a, a stick of firewood left. Uh, it says that they are uniquely victimized by nature as well. And then we have a long list of all the terrible storms, the two months in 2008, right, in just two months, it was walloped by, I think, three, four hurricanes. 
That one left 800,000 people homeless and the infrastructure severely damaged. By now, I don't see that there's anything left. Uh, it's not just that the buildings are down, but most uh, half the government seems to be dead, wiped out. Uh, I guess um, there are a few jobs left in agriculture. Uh, there are what we call uh, jobs in an informal sector. That would be, uh, you know, street vendors, day workers, shoe shiners, bellboys, that kind of thing. Uh, anyway, John Lee Anderson gets in a gets in the truck with his friend, the painter, the one that's been driving him around, and uh, he tries he tries to find out what's going on. He says that at this point, we're, let's see, three or four days following the quake. He says that disposing of bodies was, for all intents and purposes, now the extent of the Haitian government's capabilities. Okay, the prime minister told him that 70,000 bodies had been collected by bulldozers and dump trucks, had been buried in four mass grave sites in town and outside. One of those places was the main cemetery. I had meant to describe, I had meant to read you the description here at the cemetery, but I find that it's too, too difficult, too heartbreaking. In the first place, some of the bodies that are found there, um, young people, beautiful young woman, uh, well, one man is still alive, and uh, at some point the fellows running the bulldozers realize that the man is still alive, and let's see now. Oh, the bulldozer roars off, and we ask the man what he planned to do about the wounded individual on the ground, and he said, I am only responsible for the dead. Anyway, the police have lost half their force around Port-au-Prince. They uh, uh, did finally begin to shoot the thieves and looters. Uh, uh, vigilantes killed looters. There's an argument here. The government has denied giving the order to shoot the thieves and looters. But uh, Nadia says that... Uh, that was not true, she says. At some point they told them, yes, the police told them to go ahead and shoot. If it's a thief, shoot it. Right, okay. Anyway, the descriptions of these these situations. Um, well, Nadia keeps fighting and uh, takes care of the baby and then she goes out looking for her boyfriend. Uh, he's a young man named Kesnel Jean, let's see, K-E-S-N-E-L, J-E-A-N. He had headed for a town on the southern coast of Haiti and had not been heard from. Okay, towards the end of the article, he turns up, although his leg has been smashed. Uh, everybody seems to be dead or wounded. I remember this morning watching some news about <laughs> whether or not we felt we could take these wounded 
Haitians into our hospitals, you know, and could we spread the uh, spread the wounded across our nation because, of course, a number of hospitals were beginning to worry about how they would be paid. I kept wondering <laughs> if they asked the Haitians if they had any pre-existing conditions, you know, a pre-existing condition, mortality. Anyway, uh, Nadia says that a rumor began circulating after the disaster struck. Nadia said the Haitians started saying it was the U.S. doing an experiment that caused it because they wanted to take over Haiti. But I know it's God's work because if it was the U.S. that did it, well, uh, then they also did that earthquake in California a few years ago. I tried to tell them that it didn't make no sense. <laughs> this Nadia is such a wonderful character. She uh, she speaks English, Spanish, and Creole. Uh, she says that she feels more American than Haitian. And she said her favorite TV programs were Dukes of Hazard and Punky Brewster. Her mother took her and her brothers and sisters to the United States when she was six. They got on a boat with other Haitian illegal immigrants, and they went first to Cuba, then to Florida. Her father was in prison in the United States and joined them when Nadia was 14. Okay, this goes on to tell the sad story of her dad. Um, yes, cocaine, mom kicked him out, he shot someone, he escaped to Port-au-Prince. Not long afterwards, she heard he was shot dead after a drug deal. Let's see, blah, blah, blah. As a child in Miami, she'd wanted to be a Marine or a model. My mother kept promising to take me to Barbizon, but she lied. She never did. Nadia smiled. Her life has been difficult. She tells about um, an older brother who fell ill after a voodoo curse was placed on him. <laughs> There's a wonderful description here of, um, I guess it would be the reigning voodoo priest in Haiti. His name is uh, Max Beauvoir. Anyway, he is very upset by the American evangelical preacher Pat Robinson. Robertson, pardon me. Uh, Robertson blamed Haiti's tragedy on a pact with the devil. <laughs> Beauvoir said... I feel that Pat Robertson missed a very good opportunity to close his mouth. <laughs> he goes on to talk about the tragedy being the fault of nobody and so forth. Anyway, um, he says, we all have a part of God in us. He says, and our bodies should be disposed of in a decent way. The way they're doing it, picking them up and putting them in holes. It's undignified. Anyway, he goes on about the president, René Preval, and how he uh, has apparently failed to step up to the plate. <laughs> anyway, capital punishment automatically for all bandits, he said, is going to be the law. He said that there was no way to escape that. Um, anyway, what is marvelous about Nadia is her ability to 
you know, just eat this reality sandwich here. She just took one look and went to work. There's a funny description of her flirting with the soldiers from the U.N. They were from Nepal. Yes. Uh, Actually, Catholic Relief Services comes off best in this article. I like that. And my favorite, of course, as I told you, is this wonderful ministry... This wonderful ministry, I must find the name of that, yes. Haiti's Ministry of the Feminine Condition. Jean-Bertrand Aristide's Populist Legacy. (laughs) It was still running. Haiti's Ministry of the Feminine Condition. That'll be the day, boys and girls. Can you imagine something like that in our country? Anyway, uh... Nadia talks about what she had to do in the days following the quake. And uh, she finally begins to tell John Lee Anderson about her life in America. She hasn't seen any of her three children since her last arrest in the United States. When she last went to prison, her youngest was a baby. All three have ended up in different foster homes. She wants to return to the United States with her nephew, the son of the brother who has died in Haiti. She wants to be reunited with her children to have a job, she says. I can work at anything. I don't mind what, she says. They say that if you pay your dues, you're supposed to be given a second chance. Isn't that right? (laughs) She goes on to talk about the difficulty she has uh, trying to keep things running smoothly there in her community. Uh, She talks about, yes, her senior year in high school, her mother's death. uh, For a time, she said, in the United States, she studied at Tallahassee Community College. She studied something she called HRS. I asked her what that meant. She said uncertainly, Human Resources Services, she said, as if she couldn't quite remember what those initials stood for. (laughs) What a trip. Here's a woman who's been doing nothing but Human Resources Services. But, of course, we have uh, had kicked her out of the United States and sent her back to Haiti. I guess it's uh, our loss and Haiti's game. She says that she fell in with the wrong people and then she was deported. Uh, <laughs> I guess, um, yes, I guess it was not just a bad boyfriend. It was the kind of luck uh Well, one guy here in the article calls it, well, he's the luck of the Irish. There's an Irishman named Donald, D-O-N-A-L, who works for Catholic Relief Services. And it seems to me that every time I pick up uh, an essay about catastrophe and disaster, I find some Irish Catholic Relief workers or people who work for Catholic Relief Services. And I think, uh, what is it, we need to write a book about why it is that the Irish are always on the front line. Uh, Yes, Donald, he was exhausted. He listened patiently as Nadia made her appeal. And yes, 
he helped her. And, yes, the health hazards are so unbelievable. It gives me the creeps. Uh, she just keeps standing there saying, what do I have to do to get the help I need? And one way or another, even if she has to sit in offices or stand in the street outside, she just hangs in there until they give her what her people need. One of the guys from Catholic um, Relief Services goes with her to study the community of Fidel. He was amazed that there were people living down in the ravine. He asked her, what do they do in the rainy season? They get wet, Nadia said. This has been Jennifer Stone. Be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Islamic Cultural Center and Unity Productions Foundation invite KPFA listeners to a special benefit event. On Saturday, February 20th at 4.30 p.m., we will host the Bay Area premiere of Inside Islam, What Do Billion Muslims Really Think? This new documentary explores the opinions of Muslims around the globe. Then at 6.15 p.m., we will have an on-stage conversation with John Esposito about his new book, The Future of Islam. One ticket covers both events. $10 students, $12 adults online registration, and $15 at the door. Location is 1433 Madison Street in Oakland. For more info, please email us at info at iccnc.org or call us at 510-832-7600. This event benefits Islamic Cultural Center and Unity Productions Foundation.